Well, good morning, everybody. Thanks so much for being here today. Welcome to First Free Church. If you're new, we're so glad you're here. Please go ahead and fill out a Connect card for us at efree.org slash connect and come up and say hi afterward. I'd love to get to know you and, uh, and answer any questions that you may have. My name is Adam, and we are in the middle of a series called Back to the Basics, where we're getting back into kind of the foundational elements of what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus. And it has been a great time together. The reason we're doing this is because we just launched a discipleship experience called Rooted. And so we've got about 150 people who are going through this right now. We'll offer it again a couple other times this year. And we'll keep offering it because we think this is something that's going to help all of us to grow in our faith and our walk with God. Rooted is designed to help you connect with God, connect with your church, and connect with your purpose. And I think it does an excellent, excellent job of that. So I'm really excited about Rooted and what that's doing for us as a church family and how that's helping us to grow. And then this series is kind of a companion piece to that. And this week is the week that we get to talk about money. So we're going to talk about money this morning. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. And we're going to, we're going to get to talk a little bit more about our resources and our finances. Uh, but first, some of you know that um, a couple of years ago, Jenny and I decided to break down a, a, something that had been a barrier in our life for a long time. It was really a stronghold that we could have just held on to forever, but we finally decided we needed to uh, repent and, and change and we broke down and we bought a minivan. And we never, ever wanted to buy a minivan. We talked many times, I'm not joking, about how we never wanted to get a minivan. But eventually, the call of those sliding doors was just too much. We couldn't put it off any longer. And so a couple of years ago, we went out and we got a used minivan. And it, it, even though it was used, it still had a lot of features that we had never had the pleasure of experiencing before, like the sliding doors so that your kids aren't slamming the doors into other cars when you're parked in a parking lot next to someone else. That was really nice. And it's got remote start. So you can, in the you know, coldest days of winter, you can start the thing and have it warmed up by the time you go out there to use it, which is really, really cool. It's also got Bluetooth, which is great, um, so that you can just hop in and it automatically connects with your phone and you can play your podcast on the sound system and it's awesome. And it's just, it's a really, it's a really great vehicle. It's even got this thing where you can, it'll show you um, while you're backing up what you're about to hit on the, on the screen. It's really, really cool. And it, I got to the point where as I was driving this thing, um, I found myself liking the minivan more and more. And it was sort of one of those guilty pleasure type of things. Like, I know I'm not supposed to enjoy this, but it is such a nicer experience than what I usually drive. And so for the first couple of months, any time that Jenny didn't need to use it, I was just driving the minivan just for fun, which doesn't get you the best looks, but you know, it, it's... It was a cool vehicle. It had all these features I wasn't used to. See, what I usually drive is a 15-year-old pickup truck. And it's a fine truck, but it's 15 years old. So it doesn't have Bluetooth in it. It doesn't have really anything that's automated. Um, and when I back up in my truck, I don't get that nice view from the backup camera on the dash. I have to turn my head all the way around and actually look at what I'm about to hit. And there is a cool feature, though. There's a cool feature. There's three dots back there that will light up like a stoplight when I'm getting close to something. So that's kind of helpful. But I have to turn my head around all the way to see it. You know, who wants to do that? And then I don't have Bluetooth in the truck. All I've got is this audio jack that you can plug a cable into like a barbarian and connect that into your phone, which, of course, doesn't have a headphone jack anymore. And even if it did, the audio jack now on my truck makes this really high-pitched whiny noise every time you try to play something through it. It's really nice. 
So I found myself becoming very discontent with my truck. And, and for the next couple of months, all I could think about was I want to get a new vehicle. And, and I want to get something new. I want something that has all these cool features in it. And that's really all. It kind of consumed my thoughts for a while. How many of you have been there before where there's been some item that you have wanted to buy and it's all you can think about for a while? You want to be honest with me? Just raise your hand. Okay. You want to be really honest with me? What was it? What was the thing that you wanted to buy and you could not get it off your mind? Go ahead, somebody tell me. What's that? A new computer, because that thing is old, it's a dinosaur, you just need to get something that's faster, more memory, more hard drive, whatever. What else, what's something? What's that? A diaper bag? Okay, all right. You know what, I can respect that, Amy. <laughs> Luke, I think there's a pretty low barrier for pleasing your wife there. She wants a new diaper bag, just so you know. You got it easy, buddy. Uh, what else? Other Luke, I think you had one. A dog? Yeah, absolutely. What else? A new phone? Yeah, oh yeah. A video game? What video game? Pokemon, all right. You, now, did you hear that? What I have is outdated, so I need to get a new one. I see what you did there. What else? One more. Golf clubs? And, and when we have these things in our minds, sometimes it just consumes our thoughts and it becomes the only thing we can think about. And I've been there with many different things, you know, and, and of course you want to research it and it takes a lot of time to do that and you're just trying to get the best thing. And the, the thing is, these kinds of things end up consuming us, the materialism, the kind of items that we want to have, um, and, and it can just become all we ever think about. I mean, did I technically need a new truck? No, but I wanted a new truck. And so it filled my thoughts. And it's something that I just felt like I, for a while, I couldn't live without. I had to have something new. And, and spoiler alert, I ended up coming to my senses and realizing I didn't need something new. And by the way, this is not going to be the message where I tell you all the stuff you want is wrong. And you can't buy anything new and you've got to just live on virtually nothing. That is not what this message is about. But the reality is that there are companies out there that spend billions and billions of dollars a year with the sole purpose, they don't think of it this way, but really what they're trying to do is to make you feel discontent. That's what marketing is. Marketing is all about making you feel discontent. And so when's the last time you saw a commercial for something like a pickup truck or, a, uh, or some clothes or something like that or some food and the people were not happy? Of course they're happy. Unless they're selling you depression meds, they're showing you happy people who are, they, what they want you to think about is your life would be so much better if. Your life would be so much better if you had this item, if you had this new thing. And so they're trying to get you to think in a subtle way, hey, my life is not good enough. What I have is not good enough. That phone that I have is not good enough because there's a new model. Is it because there's something wrong with what I have? No, but there's a new one. And so that's, that's their job. That's what they're trying to do. Now you've got people that make millions of dollars a year by becoming influencers on social media, and then companies will pay them to plant their products into their life. So they've got their kind of fake manufactured social media life, and then they inject some of their products in there. So you will think to yourself when you see it, wow, they're happy all the time. Look at all the fun things they get to do, all the places they get to go, and they're always drinking Sprite. There must be some connection. 
And then subtly, you're going to start drinking Sprite. This is what, this is what we do because our lives revolve around things and materialism. And, and of course, it costs money to get those things. People go to college so they can learn more, so they can make more money at their job. People work hard at their job. A lot of times, not because they're super passionate about that thing that they're doing, but because they want to work hard to get the promotion to make more money so they can get more stuff and the cycle continues. Why do credit cards exist? So that you can buy stuff even if you don't have the money yet. In fact, with Kickstarter and Indiegogo and these types of places, you can buy products that don't exist yet. If you use a credit card, you can use money that doesn't exist yet. And so you can see, we have come up with all sorts of ways to get ourselves more stuff and more money, and our lives just revolve around these resources. And this is, of course, nothing new. I mean, the, the first murder that ever happened happened because of greed, because of materialism. You had Cain, you had Abel, Adam and Eve's two kids, and, uh, or their first two kids. And Cain was upset with Abel, why? Because Abel gave the best to God. And in this case, it was the best of what he had to offer, which wasn't money, but they had animals and they had grain. And Abel gave the best to God, and Cain wanted to keep the best for himself. And so God favored Abel, and Cain looked at that and was jealous and said, wait a minute, I want to be God's favorite, but I also want to keep my best stuff for me. So I'm just going to get rid of the other guy. And so he was jealous, and he took out Abel, because of his greed, because of his materialism. And that, that's where this all came from, how these guys were using their resources is where that first murder came from. Now, let's be honest. Money can be a super awkward topic in churches, okay? And you've got a lot of churches that handle money in different ways. So I want to start off here by dispelling some of the myths about money and what the Bible says about money. And I know probably for most of you, you don't necessarily need this, but there's probably one person that's new today and they've been in some churches that have taught some different things. So I just want to clear a few things up before we get into Matthew chapter six. The first myth that I want to share with you is that God needs your money. The idea that God needs your money. And what I want to do is just show you from Psalm 50 what God says about this. Because he's speaking to the Jewish people here. And they had a whole temple system with sacrifices. And they were supposed to bring money and different resources to give to the temple. And here's what God tells these people. He says, Oh, my people, listen as I speak. Here are my charges against you, O Israel. I am God, your God. I have no complaint about your sacrifices or the burnt offerings you constantly offer. You're doing good there. But. I do not need the bulls from your barns or the goats from your pens, for all the animals of the forest are mine. I own the cattle on a thousand hills, which another way, well, was another way of saying I own a whole lot of stuff. The cattle on a thousand hills, each hill can handle, you know, so many hundreds of cattle. So I have more resources than you can even imagine. Then he says, I know every bird on the mountains and all the animals of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. If I had a need, I wouldn't even tell you, for though all the world is mine and everything in it. The dirty little secret about money is that everything you have actually belongs to God. You don't actually own anything. God owns everything because he created everything. Everything in the universe is his. So everything you have that you think you own, that you hold to so tightly, yeah, it's not yours. It's actually God's. And God doesn't need our money. God doesn't ask for us to give and be generous because he needs us to do that. He's got all that he needs. So that's myth number one. Myth number two is that all churches just want your money. And some people feel this way because of experience that they've had in churches in the past. And some churches have an unhealthy obsession with money. There's, there's a balance there because on the one hand, uh, we, we do use money to operate as an organization and to pay the bills and to pay salaries and to give to missionaries around the world and to support the heating and the electrical and all that stuff. And so it does take money to operate a church. 
But some churches take this too far, don't they? And they make everything about money. And so it's always this pitch and always trying to give. And some churches go even more farther than that, especially if they have like a TV kind of ministry. A lot of churches on TV, maybe not all of them, but some of them um, really, really get into the whole give us money, send us money, and everything becomes a pitch for more money. And that's not what the church is supposed to be all about. God gives us principles for managing money. He even talks about the way money should be handled in a church context and certainly in the temple context, which was the precursor to the church. Uh, but it's not supposed to be all about money. Let me give you an example here of Jesus talking about this or, or what he did about this. In Matthew chapter 21, we read, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out all the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. And you might think, well, they have to make sacrifices. What's wrong with that? Well, go on. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. Well, What's so wrong about that? They need doves. They need to exchange money. They've got to be able to get the temple coin to pay the temple tax, and they don't just carry those around with them. Then he said to them, the scriptures declare my temple will be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. There was nothing wrong with the people bringing money for the temple. That was actually commanded. There was nothing wrong with them bringing sacrifices. There was nothing wrong with them buying an animal to bring as a sacrifice. That wasn't the problem. He says, you have turned it into a den of thieves. What had happened? is that the temple leaders had taken the courtyard that was meant for prayer and turned it into a marketplace, and they had taken some of the storerooms that were meant to store the proceeds that were brought in to be able to provide for the Levites who cared for the temple, and they had turned those into commercial warehouses. They were operating a, a money-making enterprise. They turned it into the Jewish version of Disneyland, where it was this tourist attraction. People would come from all over, and they were making as much money as they could off this thing. And no longer was the primary focus on worshiping God or learning about God, but the primary focus for these leaders was on making money. The problem was not that money was involved at all. The problem was how they were using it. In fact, if we go back to Leviticus chapter 27, we'll see God give instructions about what they were supposed to be doing. Leviticus 27 verse 30 says, One-tenth of the produce of the land whether grain from the fields or fruit from the trees belongs to the Lord and must be set apart to him as holy. And this wasn't the only gift they were to provide to the temple, but the Jewish people back in the Old Testament were supposed to provide one-tenth of whatever they grew, grain, fruit, whatever it is, and give that to the Lord, and it's set apart as holy. Now, what if you didn't want to give that up? What if you wanted to give cash? You could do that. In the very next verse, he says, if you want to buy back the Lord's tenth of the grain or fruit, and notice that it's considered to be owned by the Lord. It's not even yours. If you want to buy back the Lord's tenth of the grain or fruit, you must pay its value plus 20%. So there's a premium if you want to pay in cash versus pay in some kind of consumable good. It's 20% more. Why exactly did he do that? I don't know. But obviously the, the temple leaders were supposed to be receiving donations from people and they could receive it in the form of consumables or in the form of currency or, or whatever it was and keeping track of all that stuff. So it's not that the, the money was a problem in the temple. It's the way it was being used that was a problem. And churches fall into the exact same trap today. Temples and churches, they're supposed to be the original nonprofit entities. We don't exist to make a profit. That's not our primary goal. We do have to keep an eye on the bottom line. We do have to make sure that we don't spend more than we bring in for, for many years in a row. Um, so we've got to have a good business sense when it comes to that, but it's not the primary purpose. That's myth number two. Myth number three is that money is evil. The myth that money is evil. This comes primarily from 1 Timothy chapter 6. Some people misunderstand this. We did a whole big series on 1 Timothy over the last couple of years. Went through just really, really detailed. But I'm just going to take you to 1 Timothy 6, 9, which says, 
Paul says, but people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into destruction. Okay, so if you want to be rich, if that's your desire, you're going to do some things, fall, fall into some traps that are going to be terrible for you. It's just a warning. But then he says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And for some reason, we get it into our head that money is evil, but he doesn't say that. He says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's not that money itself is evil. Let me talk to you about one more myth, and then we'll kind of get into the meat of the message for today. Myth number four. If you give money to God and God's work, and you have enough faith, then God promises that you will be healthy and wealthy. And this is something that unfortunately some churches have promoted and taught. I've been there at churches where pastors gotten up there and said, hey, if you do this and you need a new car, God's going to give you a new car. And if you do this and you need a new job, God's going to give you a new job. And he promised those things to people. And the problem is we don't see that anywhere in God's word. We don't see anywhere. Now, we do see blessings for people who are generous givers. We see that. But what we don't see is that that's guaranteed in the form of health or that that's guaranteed in the form of wealth. Or that that's guaranteed in this life at all. There will be blessing for those who are generous, who give. And we'll talk about that more in a, a little bit. But we don't know if, is that going to happen in this life? Is that going to happen in the, in the next and as, as part of our time in eternity? Maybe God will bless us here on earth. But there is no guarantee or promise that it's going to be in health or wealth. And the problem with that kind of formulaic approach to this is that it involves this unfalsifiable claim that if you just have enough faith... So if you give 100 bucks and you have enough faith, then God's going to take away your cancer. If you get, some of them will even go so far as to give these really specific numbers. Someone needs to give $1,333.79. And if you will do that and you have enough faith, God's going to take away your problems. And the problem with that kind of claim is that no matter what happens, there is this, this uh, unfalsifiable claim in there that there's this amount of faith involved. And so if it doesn't happen, then all you got to say is, well, you didn't have enough faith. And you can't prove that wrong. But that's nowhere in Scripture. The Bible doesn't say anything like that. So I don't want to spend more time on that. Just those are four myths that I need you to be aware of as we go into this. The first one, God needs your money. He doesn't. The second one, all churches just want your money. Not true. Some churches do, unfortunately, get down that path. But not all churches just want your money. Uh, money is evil. No, it's not. It's, it's the, uh, the love of money that's the root of all kinds of evil. And then if you give money to God and have enough faith, he's going to promise to give you the health or the wealth that you want. And that's not biblical either. So let's talk about what the Bible does say about money. What are we supposed to do with money? How are we supposed to approach it? And I'm going to use the phrase a lot today, resources. And the reason I'm going to use that is because a lot of times as the Bible talks about our our money, it's not necessarily talking about currency. Sometimes it's talking about goats or sheep or camels or things like that. And so I'm just going to use resources. And even for us, you might have assets in different types of, of, um, of markets and, and you might have different types of valuable things. We're just talking about resources in general, the stuff that you own, whether it's currency or some other type of investable asset, something along those lines. And, and the Bible talks a lot about our resources, which means God cares how you use your resources. Did you know that there are about 500 verses in the Bible about praying, about our prayer lives? There are over 2,300 verses about our resources and how we use them. I'm not using that to say that prayer is not important. 
I'm using that to show that something we often don't think of as being all that spiritual seems to be pretty spiritual. God seems to care an awful lot about how we use our resources on this earth. We almost separate those sometimes. Well, this is my money over here, and yeah, I give some to God, but how you use all of it matters to God. It really does. In fact, Jesus told 38 parables, 16 of them were specifically about how you use your resources. So God cares how we use our money and our resources. It's something that we, we need to know more about. In fact, one of the early job responsibilities of the church leaders was to have all the people in the church who had extra resources, they would give that to the church, and then the church would turn around and give that to the people that had the greatest need. The people brought all their excess, and the church kind of redistributed that to people who had needs. We read about this um, in the Bible. Actually, I think we'll, we'll cover that a little bit later, so I won't go into that now. Um, the Apostle Paul talked a lot about, uh, about money. And Jesus talked a lot about money. In fact, that's where we're going to be today. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. If you've got your Bible, we're going to read through this passage together. Jesus is giving his Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount, we've done uh, messages on this before. The Sermon on the Mount was basically Jesus' new disciple orientation. He gathered all his disciples around him. And they're right by the Sea of Galilee. And he's walking them through. If you're going to be my disciple, here's what you've got to know. And he goes through the Beatitudes, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit and all that. Then he gets to this section where he talks about money and the use of resources. And what does he say? We want to find out what does Jesus have to teach us here about how we use our money. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19. Here's what he says. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven. Where moths and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. Where your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Let me read that one more time. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness how deep that darkness is. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Let's pause right there and bow our heads and ask God to give us wisdom as we look at this passage together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your words recorded for us from 2,000 years ago, Lord. It's amazing to think of how many people lived back then and we know barely anything they said. Certainly there's no one that we know as much about as we do about Jesus. And to think that you recorded this for us, Lord, so that we can learn from it now a couple of millennia later. So we thank you, Lord, for this, your word. We thank you for what it teaches us. And we know that it's relevant to our lives today. So I pray that for everybody who is, is here listening to this message, for everybody that's watching online right now, Lord, I pray that you would soften our hearts to hear what you have to share with us. And maybe there's something in our lives that we need to surrender over to you. Maybe there's something we've been kind of holding on to tightly, some resource that we've been treasuring and valuing more than you. I pray that you'd set our priorities straight today, God. And, and we wanna be ready for that, ready for whatever you wanna teach us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So one thing I want you to notice about Matthew chapter six is that Jesus is speaking in two different sets of contrasting ideas, right? He's talking about treasure on earth versus treasure in heaven. 
He talks a little bit about an unhealthy eye that fills the body with darkness versus a healthy eye that fills the body with light, which is the idea of what are you focusing on? Where is your attention at? And he talks about serving money versus serving God. And that's really the, the thread that is woven throughout all those verses that we just read. It's all about what are you, where are you, what are you treasuring? And where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Jesus knows how much we value having money and things, having resources. But there's a problem with those things that we value so much. And he gets at that problem in verse 19. He says, don't store up treasures here on earth where, what, moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. What's the problem with money on earth? It doesn't last very long. If it's paper currency, you could have bugs get in there and eat it. You could, it could rot and get destroyed. If it's some kind of a tangible asset that's got metal in it, it could rust. And the whole point is your, your physical stuff here on earth, it's going to degrade. It's going to waste away. And if nothing else gets it, thieves could come in and steal it. His point is this stuff is temporary. In fact, you can't take it with you. None of this is going to last very long. It's not of eternal value. So if it's not of much eternal value and we are eternal beings, then why do we spend so much of our lives trying to accumulate stuff that's not really going to last very long? If you think about your life and you think about eternity and what that looks like, and your life here on earth, which is like a speck, we spend so much of our time focused on and consumed by material things and resources and wealth and trying to amass more of it when that has very little impact on eternity because it's all just going to fade away. Even if you could take it with you, even if you could take it with you. Let's imagine what that's like. Somebody told me this story once. It's a fictional story, obviously, of a man who asked God, God, I've accumulated so much here on this earth. I've worked so hard. I now have all this wealth. And he finds out that he's near the end of his life. And he just prays and says, God, I, I would love to be able to take some of it with me. Would you please just this once make an exception and allow me to take some of it with me? And, and to his surprise, God says, okay, you got one suitcase. You can take one suitcase to heaven with you. And he thinks about it long and hard and goes, man, how am I going to get the most value in that suitcase? So he decides that he's going to sell everything he has and he's going to buy a bunch of gold bars. He puts gold bars in this suitcase. And the angels are aware of what's going on. They're shocked because God's allowing someone to bring something with them for the first time ever. And they can't wait to find out when this guy, not that they're hoping for him to die, but once he dies, they're excited. They're like, okay, well, let's see. What did he choose? What did he put in this suitcase? He shows up with a suitcase and he pops it open and they go, why'd you bring a bunch of pavement? Because all of the goods that we could have here on earth, the most valuable thing we have, isn't worth that much in heaven. It's just, it's, the value isn't there. And we spend all this time, I mean, imagine if you had a suitcase full of gold bars, you'd feel, feel pretty good about yourself. Unless you were in eternity and then it wouldn't matter. It wouldn't mean anything, and yet we spend so much time trying to accumulate what we think is valuable when it's not that valuable to God. So Jesus says next in verse 20, store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. So we've got two contrasting ideas here. Jesus does want you to invest. He does want you to accumulate wealth just not the kind of wealth you're thinking about. He doesn't want you to invest in earthly treasure. He wants you to store up in treasure that will last for eternity, the kind that cannot be taken away. And so from this, we learn that God's economy is different from man's economy. God's economy is different from man's economy. Sometimes we get so caught up in the rat race of life that we forget what really matters in the long run. 
It reminds me of the story I heard about of a uh, little boy who got his hand caught in a, a vase. And, and some of you have heard me tell this story before, but some of you are new, so just let the new ones enjoy it. Little boy gets his hand caught in a vase. His parents can't get it out. This vase is, is priceless. I mean, it's, it's thousands and thousands of dollars. It's this elegant, ancient Chinese vase. And so they're trying to get his hand out. They can't do it. They pour olive oil in there. They can't get his hand out. And then there are, they call the neighbors over and they try butter and Crisco and all these other things and they can't get his hand out. And finally they decide after many hours of this and this boy is just crying like, we're gonna have to break the vase. Priceless vase. They break it and it shatters into pieces. And as the pieces are laying there on the floor, they see why he couldn't get his hand out of the vase. His hand was clenched in a, in a fist. And inside of that fist was a shiny penny that he found in the bottom of that vase and he would not let it go. And so many of us are holding tightly to earthly things that we think are so valuable, missing what is really valuable around us, missing what God sees as actually treasure that we should store up in. But we're holding so tight to that stuff of ours, to that money of ours. Now, let's be clear. This doesn't mean you can't have nice things. God wants us to enjoy this world. I've taught about this recently. I won't spend a lot of time on it here, but there are times in the Bible where God says, hey, go out and buy great food and buy great drinks and enjoy and have a party and celebrate and enjoy life. There's a whole biblical theology around the fact that God wants us to enjoy this world and life that he's created for us. So it's not that you can't have nice things. The problem is when our heart is so tightly wrapped around those things that we're treasuring the wrong thing and we're missing what God says is really valuable. We're, we're loving the creation instead of the creator or more than the creator. Now, if you're like me and you read these words of Jesus, you want to be able to ask him the question, okay, Jesus, how do I store up treasure in heaven? So you're saying don't store up treasure on earth, which doesn't mean don't be wise with money, but just don't make that your priority but store up treasure in heaven. So how do I do that? And thankfully, we have information on that in the Bible. We could go to a number of places. We're just gonna look at a couple instances where Jesus and Paul tell us how we can store up treasure in heaven. First one's in Matthew chapter 19. So in Matthew 19, Jesus is talking with a man who comes up to him. He's a young man. He's super wealthy. He loves his money and he wants to know how he can get into heaven. And Jesus says this in verse 21 of Matthew 19. If you want to be perfect, Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Now, there are lots of ways Jesus talks about gaining treasure in heaven, and that includes um, by standing strong and following him even when you're mocked or persecuted. That includes loving your enemies. That includes having a genuine spiritual life that isn't just a show thing. But one of the things he says here is, hey, if you're generous to the poor, that will be one way of storing up treasure in heaven. You can actually use your financial resources to be generous and give to other people. And in doing that, it's like there's an exchange that happens where that's of heavenly value to sacrifice that for other people. So we're going to modify our phrase from earlier. Earlier, we said God's economy is different from man's economy, right? Well, now we're going to say God's economy is different from man's economy, but the two are connected. The two are actually connected. We don't often think about it that way. It's not that God doesn't care how you use your earthly money. He does care how you use it. He cares how you use that money, and he knows that that actually has an impact on heaven, on your eternal reward. Paul put it this way. He said in 1 Timothy 6, tell them to use their money to do good. 
They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. So that's a good thing to do. But then he says this, by doing this, by using your money, your resources to help other people, they will be storing up their treasure. He's using the same language here as a good foundation for the future, referring to a future life so that they may experience true life. So Paul is saying there is some connection here between how you use your earthly treasure to be a blessing to and benefit to other people, how you are generous with it with others and helping others and their earth, then that heavenly reward, storing up treasure in heaven. That's so interesting to me. There's basically like an exchange that happens there. Like you can exchange your earthly wealth for heavenly wealth, but it's not by amassing more earthly wealth. It's by giving it away. Isn't that interesting? Of course, it's really not about the the currency there. It's about the heart and the spirit that's involved there and saying, I am not going to keep this for myself. I'm going to be generous with other people. And notice here, it's not because God needs it. Paul doesn't say, make sure you're generous because otherwise I'm not sure what God's going to do with these people. They're really needy. I'm not sure how God's going to take care of that one. It's not because God needs it. It actually has more to do with you. It has to do with you and your heart and your willingness to sacrifice and to not hold tightly. It actually ultimately has to do with trust. I trust in God to provide what I need. And I trust in God that when he says there is a heavenly treasure in store for me, that that's really there. See, none of us have gone there and come back. And I know that there's some books and movies and all that, but none of us have gone there and come back to say, you know what? It's true. I, I, I was generous. And I supported a lot of people and I gave money away and I didn't hold on to it too tightly. I didn't view that as the most important thing in my life. And I helped other people more than I tried to help myself. And, and, and it's true. You get rewarded for that in heaven. There's an element of faith here. There's an element of trusting God that what he says in his word is true. By the way, this is exactly what the early church did. I mentioned this earlier. It's in Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 4, verse 32, it says, All the believers were united in heart and mind. They felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. There were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses, which means they were pretty wealthy, would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. This is how we're supposed to treat our resources. Not as something we cling to tightly, holding on to it with all our might, but something that we're willing to share. Not as something that's evil. Money is not evil. Money is a tool that can be used for good or used for bad. This also means, by the way, that we should never judge another believer for having money. I've been around some Christians who look at other Christians who have resources and, and just have a lot of spite in their heart towards them and make kind of negative comments because of the wealth that they have. And, and yet I've been around believers that are incredibly wealthy and they're the most generous people I've ever known. And it's not like they're hoarding the money. They, they can't give it away fast enough in some cases because they just keep being generous and God keeps blessing them and maybe they have the spiritual gift of giving. And so I, I've heard this from a lot of Christians who um, have the gift of giving that that God just keeps blessing them with so much more. And the more they give, the more he blesses them. And, and, and I know that probably some of you are now thinking, how do I get that gift of giving? That sounds like a good one. But it's just something that the spirit gives to some people. And it's like, man, just everything they touch turns to gold. And then they turn around and give it away. And you might not even know about it because they don't make a big deal about it. They don't, they don't put up a billboard saying, guess what? I just gave a million dollars to this whole, this thing that's going on over there and in Africa or, or Ukraine or whatever it is, but some of the most generous uh, people have, have a lot of resources. That's okay. 
It's not that money is evil. It can be used for good or used for evil. So this is why Jesus says back in Matthew 6, uh, verse 21, he says, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Sometimes we think of this in the negative sense, like be careful where you put your treasure because there your heart is. And that's true, but I want to think of it in the positive sense because we can actually flip this around to get a really valuable principle. One that I hope you'll take with you today and you will use this week. Here it is. You can use your treasure to guide your heart. You can use your treasure to guide your heart. Uh, We tend to think that wherever our heart is, whatever we love, that's the thing we're going to put money into. But it can work the the other way around too. Whatever you put your money into, that's what you end up treasuring. So you can use your treasure to guide your heart. How many of you have bought a new car at some point, or new to you anyway? You've, you've had a new vehicle. Okay. Did you treat that car with a lot of care, especially the first few months after you got it? You're careful about who drives it. You're careful about who eats in it. And the first scratch that it gets, you're like, oh, it was a perfectly good car. Now it's got a scratch down the side of it. You, your heart is in that car. Why? Because you put your treasure into it. How many of you, be honest, have given that much attention and care to a rental car that you borrowed? Of course not. You didn't put much treasure into it. Now, that rental car might be worth more than your car. It might be newer than your car. There might be every good reason for you to look at that rental car and think, I'm going to take care of this. But do you? No, because you didn't put your treasure into it. It's the same with all sorts of things that we buy. Whatever we put our treasure into, that's what we end up caring about a lot. And so you can use your treasure to guide your heart. Some people have a lot of money invested in the stock market. And when you do, you care about how that market does. But if you don't have money in the stock market, then you, you don't really care that much because your treasure guides your heart. And that's a powerful tool for us to use. We can use our treasure to guide our heart. Let me give you some examples of this. So let's say... This happens all the time where people want to care more about something than they actually do. You want to care more about something? You want to actually care about it and really get passionate about it? Put some money into it. You want to care more? You see what goes on with human trafficking and you want to care more and and, and do something to stop it? Well, you can start by donating to an organization that helps to end human trafficking or that helps the victims of human trafficking. You know what? If you start contributing significantly to something like that, guess what? You're going to care a lot more about what that ministry does to help people. In fact, you might want to actually start volunteering there. And you're going to pay attention when those emails come out with their updates of what they're doing. Same thing goes for helping people who, who have needs and, and don't have a lot of resources. You might see you know, an article about that every now and then and think, oh man, I wish more was being done. And, but you just feel like, I just don't have the passion for it that I wish I did. Well, I'll tell you what, if you write a check, you, you may start finding that passion come out there. Because your treasure can guide your heart. You find a good organization that's, that's lifting people out of poverty and helping them to get back on their feet. Not one that's creating paternalism or entitlements, but one that is really helping people get out of that situation. And you start donating money to them and going to their donors meetings and and getting involved and hearing their communication then start serving there. And you're going to find that's going to be a place of passion for you. That's also going to be a place of great satisfaction. And you can start that by actually using your treasure to guide your heart. It's one of these principles that's right there in God's word, but we don't often think of it that way. If you want to care more about something that matters, put your money into it. Your heart will follow. Same thing goes with your church. You want to care more about your church and be more invested in your church? Be more invested in your church. 
Give and support your church financially and then get involved there and you're gonna find, hey, this is my church and I love this church and I wanna be a part of this here and I'm contributing to it and I'm getting stuff out of it and I'm serving as a part of it and be passionate there. Your treasure can guide your heart. Before we close today, I wanna say that if you wanna go deeper into any of this, we have a whole series on this that this is really just an overview of. And the series is called The Almighty Dollar. It's from a few years ago. You can go on our website, efree.org slash messages and just click on the almighty dollar and you can watch messages on giving and saving and spending and how God wants us to approach money. So I would encourage you, if you haven't seen that already, to go and do that and it'll give you a lot more information than we've covered today. But as we wrap up today, I just want us to think for a moment about how amazing it is when a group of people gets together and decides we are not gonna be all about getting resources for ourselves, we're gonna be all about giving and sharing with other people. That's what the early church looked like. In many ways, that's what this church looks like. So this is not a message to say, come on, guys, we're not doing this well. Actually, you're doing this really, really well. In fact, I want to close this way because I don't think you always get to see it. But the benevolence ministry at this church is incredibly strong and gives away tens of thousands of dollars a year to people that can't make rent, that need help with utilities and all sorts of different needs that they have. And there's a lot of that that happens here. There's a lot that happens here outside of any kind of official church leadership channel where somebody just finds out, hey, so-and-so needs an appliance and this person just gives them one or this person needs clothes or this person needs a place to stay. Well, you can stay with us for a while. I mean, that kind of stuff happens all the time. You just don't get to hear about it. The early church is alive and well. So this is not a bring down the hammer. Hey, we need to do this. This is a let's keep doing it. If you're not involved in it, if you're not a part of it, then yeah, this is your invitation to be a part of that that mission that Jesus calls us to, to not hold on to our resources tightly, but to be generous with other people and store up treasure in heaven and not on earth. But for many of you, this is just a, hey, you're doing what the Bible says we're supposed to do. Let's keep doing it. Let's find more ways to do it. Let's bless more people. Let's remember to not hold on to those things tightly, but to value what really matters to God. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Let's close. Let's thank God for his teaching. Lord, it's amazing to me that you have written as much as you have about money and resources. And it's really a blessing because I know in my life, and I'm sure for many of us, it can be such a distraction to us, something that can consume our thoughts so often. And Lord, we wanna thank you right now for how you have blessed us with your word and helped us to see what really matters in your eyes. Because otherwise, we could get so caught up in all this other stuff. Help us to remember, God, that that eternity values something greatly different than what we value in this little sliver of life on this earth. Help us to be storing up treasure in heaven, to to not cling to those things that we so often allow our lives to be consumed by, but to just hold them with open hands, to understand that all of that is temporary, all of the cars and houses and and money and jobs and all those things are so temporary to us. And Lord, to instead focus our efforts and our energy and our minds on what you really value. I pray that we would be known as a church that does that, Lord. The first free church would be known in the community as a generous and giving church, not, not as an entity, but the people that we as a church family would be known that way, Lord, as in many cases, uh, you're already doing that work. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.